0: Growing a small business has never been easy, so how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to The Conference room. Good afternoon, and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined by Chandler Walker. Chandler is the Chief Growth Officer of Taylor Green Media and co-founder of Stone Age Fuel. He graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno, with a degree in biochemistry and molecular biology, and then established a brick-and-mortar wellness facility, which he pivoted to an online health practice a year before the COVID lockdowns. Now, after scaling both businesses to seven figures and doing over 3,000 sales consultations, Chandler created Compassion Conversations, a sales system centered around compassion and care. And he has the goal to change and redefine the landscape of sales altogether. And I'm delighted he's coming to the conference room to tell us all about it. So Chandler Walker, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me here. Super excited to tell the story of how I scaled my businesses up, how we ate dirt in the beginning and slept inside the facility, and ultimately how we gained this idea behind Compassion Conversations to change the landscape of sales and get away from manipulative tactics, being aggressive, and all that junk that really nobody feels good about doing.
0: That sounds great. I'm really excited to dig into that. But just before we do, all heroes have an origin story, and you're the hero of our story. So how did a graduate of UNR go on to re define sales altogether.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So when I was growing up, I had a a mother who suffered from bipolar disorder. And back then it was like, if you had a mental issue or mental disorder, people told you just smile and pretend like nothing's wrong with you because nobody really took it seriously. And so it took her until my twenties to actually figure out what was going on and really figure out a way to get help and help herself. So I learned as a kid that communication was paramount and important to be able to meet someone where they're at. And I also learned to love and care for people, no matter what they, sort of portray outwardly because some with bipolar, it's often very high highs and very low lows. And so you have to learn how to meet them in the middle and not hate them for why they're suffering. Because I think a lot of people end up hating their parents because of issues like this. And they don't recognize that it's not the person talking, it's the disease that's manifesting. So this led me into a college where I studied biochemistry because I wanted to go to med school and create change in the world. I thought, you know what, my mom had this issue and I could create a lot of change. And I really want to use this as my call to action to drive Forward, But as I was getting through and as I was precepting down at UMC in Vegas, I kind of started recognizing that it wasn't about change. It was more about giving medication and sending someone along their way. And this isn't a shot at doctors. It's a shot at the system because I can't tell someone to eat an apple or I'll get sued. And I can't follow up with them to see if they're eating apples. I can give them a refill on their medication and they'll keep coming back. And so everybody centers around being medicated. And ultimately, that wasn't really where I wanted to be. It wasn't really where I wanted to be helping people. So I broke off and I opened up Stone Age Fuel, which is our brick and mortar wellness facility. And we had the goal of helping people in six key areas, mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, and habits. And after working with three or 4,000 people, I started to develop this sales system that we were talking about in the beginning.
0: So what are the primary differentiators between your sales system and the sales systems that are out there? Why did you create this system? What was it to kind of get away from?
1: as I was building up my business, my brick and mortar Stone Age Fuel. And then as we built up the online business, I recognized that sales was obviously an incredibly important piece because it was it was either sale or sell or no revenue. And I'd rather have revenue. So as I was going through it though, I, I kind of started to recognize that the sales trainers I hiring, I was hiring were telling me, oh, you have to be aggressive. You have to push for the sale. You have to go for the close. The sale doesn't start until objections. If they cry, they buy. And as I was going through this, I kind of thought to myself, well, it, I got into this thing. I pivot shift. To help people, I pivot shifted to move into an industry where I could create change in people's lives. But now I'm in this situation and this position where I have to manipulate people into being better. And so for me, it was a huge conflict of interest. Who am I to manipulate someone? Who am I to be aggressive and to bully someone into making a decision to move into a program where my whole program is centered around being well? And so I started to look at what I was doing already. And I started to look at how my conversations flowed. And so I look back and and I had a good mentor who in college was a doctor in, in, in clinical psychology and really showed me what the idea of cognitive behavior therapy was. And so I took a lot of the aspects of cognitive behavior therapy, motivational interviewing, acceptance commitment therapy, and I took all of those and I combined them into the sales process that we have now. And so what we have is we have this psychotherapeutic modality of sales to where we can have a conversation to where we connect the dots to the past, help people understand where they're headed, where they're not headed, and the potential ramifications of where they could go are. And we don't have to tell them Visa or MasterCard. We don't have to assume the clothes. We don't have to be aggressive. We just create and forge a connection to where someone recognizes and understands the different and real scenarios that are possible.
0: That's great. So when you're talking to your client base, are you going in and offering this to other organizations to help them sell their wares as well? Or are you purely, is this just a system you developed and they're kind of executing in house?
1: So originally it was a system we were only executing in-house. So I created the system. I scripted it out. I did three or 4,000 conversations on my own. Then I gave it to my team. They did it. They gave me feedback. Then we started spitting it out to the rest of our team. And it grew into this thing that we were using in our organization. But then a lot of people started coming to me and asking me about our process. A lot of people started recognizing how we spoke, how our sales reps spoke, what our process looked like, and they were interested. So what we did was we opened up originally a beta for people outside of our organization to learn the system. And then after that, we went alpha, beta, gamma, and trialed it with a lot of different people in the health industry, in the coaching industry, in the insurance industry, so all across the board. And after we were able to alpha, beta, gamma, then we launched it full blown out into the world. So now our compassion conversation sales system is running in the wild and everybody's enjoying it.
0: Great stuff. Um, so when you're going into an organization to talk to them about using the system, okay, what are the key problems that you're seeing their salespeople or you know, the organization itself having?
1: Yeah. The first big problem that we see and we kind of have to work through is culture. Because when someone comes in to make a change, people in the organization don't necessarily want that change. So the first thing you have to do is work on the culture inside the organization. And in my opinion, the first and most important thing is our first pillar, which is detaching from the need to sell. So you have to take a lot of these commission-based sales reps. You have to take a lot of people who need to make money and move them into a position and place to where they're not attached to the outcome. Because when they're attached to the outcome, all of a sudden, commission breath comes about. It's like they need to sell. They start to be aggressive to get it. They to really want it. And the more you want it, the more someone's going to push away and not want you to get it. Because being human is a game of cat and mouse. It's if you want it, I don't. If I want it, you do. And so we have to teach them detach from the idea that you need to sell and attach to the idea that you need to serve and connect the dots and people will want it more than ever.
0: Right. And is that something that you found has been a challenge when you're dealing with salespeople who are driven by the need to earn commission?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so what happens here is we have to kind of move them into an environment to where, yes, you're still earning commissions, but you're not chasing commissions. And one of my favorite quotes is the person who chases a million dollars dies chasing the million dollars. But the person who chases $10 and earns it, then chases 20 and earns it, then chases 30 is the person who ultimately dies wealthy or hopefully lives wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of what we have to do with sales reps that so we move them into, okay, you don't need to chase the commission. You're still going to get the commission, but you're going to get more commissions by the way you approach this process. The less needy and desperate you are, the more likely it is that someone's going to want to be a part of what you do. And the more likely it is someone's going to feel like you actually care and you're not just there to close them. So then we'll see sales reps close rates go from in the higher ticket world, like 25%, 20% up to like 60 or 70, just from this little simple modification of the process.
0: Right. And I think that kind of mind shift is really critical. It's interesting because one of our early guests on the podcast was Brian Stone, who is a chief revenue officer of a software securities software company called Simulate. And one of the things that he said either on the podcast or in another conversation I've had with him was, although he wants salespeople to be hungry, he wants salespeople to be hungry in their ability to move a prospect forward in the sales process and being able to move someone through by doing each step properly and well in serving the needs of the customer. And if someone's focused on that, then the first stage of the process will convert, enough of them will convert to the second stage and the second to the third and third to the fourth and so on until you get to whatever final stage that becomes the close. Okay, and he said if someone's focused on that, then the success will happen because they're doing enough of the right things and the money will just make itself. And that's a much better, in his view, was a much better recipe for success than someone always just sort of chasing the dollar and chasing the dollar. Because very often that means that you'll miss steps out, you'll alienate the customer, you'll clearly not be an advocate or an ambassador for what the customer needs, because that's ultimately what your job as a salesperson ought to be. The customer needs to feel that you're their guy rather than just a walking ATM. It sounds like that very much sort of coalesces with what you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And it teaches the sales rep that it's not really about the close today. It's about the relationship that creates a consistent source of revenue tomorrow. And so what happens with, that we see in, in, in speaking to your point here is people will come in, they'll have a good relationship with the sales rep, the sales rep will have a good call with them, and then they'll follow up and they'll continuously follow up. And then all of a sudden their pipeline turns into 50% of the revenue coming from follow-up and it turns it into the snowball effect. They have all these people coming back consistently because leads come in and then they're not lost. Like normal sales reps will just kind of forget about them if they don't close them on the first day, but our sales reps will come back and build that relationship. So then it starts snowballing. Now all of a sudden you have 10 people coming in, 20 people coming in, 30 people coming in, people coming back and people wanting to be part of it because you were able to maintain and consistently stick with that relationship.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. What differences are you seeing from like a before and after one of your clients uses you or uses your system for their salespeople?
1: Typically what we see is the average sales team in a higher ticket world with products that are like three or four, five, six, ten thousand $10,000 or more we'll see about a 20% close rate with sales reps. And it's typically they're following traditional systems. And so they come to us and they say, well, I need help with objection handling. But then we look at the process and their discovery process in the beginning is, is so awful that you can barely listen to it. And so we fix that. And once we fix that, they usually bump up, their close rate goes, at the minimum it doubles, but on average, we tripled their close rate. So you go from 20 to 60%. And all of a sudden now, it's not about that one out of 10 sales. Now, all of a sudden you've just tripled your ability to make commission and you don't care about the commission as much. So one of the biggest things that we see is that close rate. It often triples. And as it triples, they learn, oh, the relationship. Okay. So I can continue to create this snowball impact of revenue for myself. I can build the relationship and care about the person. I don't have to worry about handling objections anymore. And now I feel a lot better about my process. I'm not stressed out about it. I'm not stressed out about making quotas. And I have some time to breathe and some room to breathe because I have so many clients and they're in abundance at this point.
0: Wow. So the quantity of sale increases and the quality of sale increases.
1: Exactly. So, our people will come on, and I tell people we have this process called the no objection handling sequence. We don't get financial objections, we don't get spouse or partner objections because we handle all of that in discovery. We have a process called becoming a challenging leader, where your goal is to not let things slide by and to politely and empathetically challenge somebody if something comes up. And what that does is it pulls out objections in the beginning so you can work through it before. Before it becomes an issue when you drop the price and when you start talking about packages and all that. Because after you drop price and objections come out, it's a much different game. But if you can develop that relationship and build that cohesiveness with someone in the beginning and show them that you are a leader and you're someone worth following and someone who's willing to ask hard questions, they'll believe in you and they'll respect you.
0: And have you found this to be just as applicable in the B2B world as in the B2C world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have health coaches in the B2C world who are selling B2C. But then on the other side, we have real estate agents. We were working on fixing an insurance company's cold calling process previously, which compassion conversations, cold calling, you'd think it it doesn't make sense, but it really does because it's about tonality and approach. And so we found that it's effective in B2C and even more in B2B. And the reason I say even more in B2B is because B2B buyers are much more sophisticated. B2C buyers, like someone looking for weight loss, they haven't been on 700 phone calls trying to buy something. They have no idea. So it's a newer process for them. But B2B, often you get people who have been on 500 different calls, people who have seen everything. They're grizzled. They're angry. They're frustrated. They don't want the sale. They know you're going to try to close them. And so when you approach it this way, it knocks them back a peg. And they say, wait a minute, don't you want my money? Are you going to ask for it? Do you even care? completely shifts their mindset and the way they're thinking about what's about to happen
0: let's dig into the actual process then. Okay. So what would you say are the kind of primary steps that somebody that's doing compassion conversations would take in, whether it's discovery, whether it's objection handling, whether it's moving someone through the sales process, what would you say are the main kind of highlights, any kind of actionable steps that someone listening to this could start to put into practice today?
1: Yeah. So there's three main steps to compassion conversations. The first step is what I talked about earlier, detaching from the need to sell. So really writing down that you're here to, Serve. You're here to build a relationship and you're here to create consistency with this client because that results in higher revenue and more people coming back. And it removes the stress of the one call close mentality where you have to smile and dial and hope you get someone on that first call. And then the second one we look at is the art of cognitive questioning or cognitive listening. And so what that means is if you're on a call or you're doing sales and your only goal is to just find the pain, it's not enough. People always say, find the pain, stick the knife, twist it on them. But it's not enough. Just because you make someone cry doesn't mean they're going to buy. And if they do cry, they're probably going to be in a buying state to where they're going to ask for a refund down the road. So what we do is we look at not just the pain, but we want to connect the dots to the past and we want to help them understand patterns of behavior that are not benefiting them and the real reason why they're not successful. And so you'll be able to ask, okay, well, for example, in like weight loss, why haven't you been able to lose weight? Oh, well, I've tried 85 different diets. Oh, okay. Well, tell me, how long have you been doing that? Oh, since I was a kid. Oh, wow. So you've been trying to do this since you were a kid. Yeah, what was home life? Like, oh, well, my parents forced me to eat my entire plate. Oh, okay. Well, you've just established a pattern you can call to. Oh, okay. Well, you had to eat your whole plate as a kid. And you told me earlier, you have a problem with overeating now. So it might not even be diets of the problem here. I think we have a pattern of behavior that just keeps coming up. And I'll be honest with you. This might be really hard to fix because it's psychologically driven. So these are the kinds of things that people don't think about. They don't understand or recognize in a B2B example. It's like, well, I need help generating leads okay, well, well, talk to me about what you've tried. Oh, I've hired 85 different marketing agencies. Oh, okay. Well, do you know what your key performance indicators are for like your ads and stuff? Uh, no, not really. Well, how long have you been trying to figure this out? Six years. Okay. So we've established a pattern. They don't know what their KPIs are. They've never tried to do it themselves. They're trying to outsource it and they repeatedly fail because of this. So we can call to those patterns and help them understand that these destructive behavior patterns will continue and they're not going to change. And once someone recognizes that, usually you're the only one who's ever brought this up. So now all of a sudden, sudden they're like, well, I never thought about it this way. What should I do? And that's when you sort of have the power. So you tell them, well, well, I don't know if it's okay with you. I'll keep asking questions and, and see if we might be able to figure out how to fix this pattern. And so they begin to lean closer to you as you lean out and you tell them, well, maybe I can help, maybe not. And then the last concept we have is what I call the challenging leader concept. And so this is the idea. If a customer says something like, well, I've tried so many times and it's just hard, you know, well, hold on. I don't know if I actually know. Can you explain a little bit more about what you've tried and why it's so hard? Or if someone starts saying, well, I have this business partner who doesn't care and he just doesn't pay attention. And every time I try to do something, he's just not there. So I feel like I'm alone. All right. Well, a lot of sales reps would be like, yeah, that sucks. Sometimes you just got to do it on your own. But for us, it's more like, well, yeah, that's hard. And it's a little bit concerning. Well, why is it concerning? Well, because honestly, if your business partner isn't aligned with you, I'm not sure if you can be successful. And so we help call to the things that people won't say. So that way we can tell them these are the patterns that will force you to fail. And those are the three concepts behind compassion conversations. So we have detaching from the need to sell, the art of the cognitive questioner or cognitive listener, and the model of the challenging leader.
0: That's amazing. And I love what you said about as the more they lean in, the more you kind of almost step away. Something that my very first boss, Mark, who I talk about quite a bit, he used to talk about the idea of like, metaphorically holding out a pen to somebody. And as they reach in to take the pen, you just kind of pull the pen away a little bit and they'll come closer and closer and closer. Using similar kinds of of techniques, not in a manipulative sense, but the more you kind of effectively stand your ground and say, listen, I am here to serve, but it has to be, you know, the only way I can serve you effectively is under this structure, right? Enables people to step into that world because you've built up that kind of trust as opposed to you saying I can help you. And they go, okay, fine. The only way I want you to tell me is to do this this and this and this and this and this, right? Yeah, I want you to be my weight loss consultant, but I want to be able to eat cheeseburgers and I want to be able to never exercise and I want to be able to never drink water and I want to be able to, go to bed whenever I want and get up as late as I want, right? And if you then turn around and go, yeah, fine, I can still make you lose weight, you're setting yourself up for failure. They're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. And the whole thing's going to fail. Whereas if you stand your ground and using the techniques that you just talked about, they come more into your world, as well as you maintaining your credibility and your integrity, you're creating a platform where they can succeed and where you can succeed in helping them.
1: Exactly. And that's a really good point there because one thing that you're doing, you're not just challenging people, you're interviewing them for their potentiality of being a good client or a good customer. If you say something and they're combative every step of the way, that's why we challenge them. We want to challenge their thoughts and beliefs to help redefine them and reshape to what's actually happening and what the real thing going on is. So then you at the same time can make a decision. Is this person coachable? Can this person be successful? If I enroll this person, will I have a successful client or will they be a failure? And so, you can start to make the delineation between coachability and non at the same time. So that way you yourself can say, well, I can help you or I can't. And you can say it confidently.
0: This also talks to the fact that ultimately the salespeople are very focused on qualifying people in. I think it's just as much important to qualify people out and to determine, right, I may take this person's money, but if they're not a good client, I mean, I've spent all my time the last 20, 30, 40 minutes on the sales call, trying to convince them that I'm a good service provider or my product is a great product for them. What I need to also understand is whether or not they're a good client for me, because what I don't want is, you know, a month six weeks, you know, however it is down the line, they turn around and go, this isn't working. Well, the reason why it isn't working is because you're not doing it properly. You're not, you know, you're not doing what you need to do, which means they're either going to ask for a refund or they're not going to renew. And so what you're very much talking towards is the importance of qualifying out just as much as qualifying in, because nobody wants to have to give refunds and nobody wants Someone that's just going to pay for the trial month and then never renew.
1: Exactly. That's a good point. And that's why when people come in, they're like, well, let's just cut to the chase. How can you help me? I don't know. I'm not even sure if I can help you. Would it be okay if I asked some questions to see if it would even make sense? Oh yeah. Okay. So sales resistance right off the bat, move in. Well, I mean, I don't know if I can help you drop the sales resistance, move into questions, become a cognitive questioner and figure out what's going on with that person. And that's the beauty behind the thing. You're trying your hardest to disqualify them. I tell people often, I'm like, I will fight you to make sure you don't give me any money. I will fight you to make sure you don't enroll in this thing because I don't want you to enroll it for the wrong reasons. And we'll finish our conversation. it's like at the end, okay, so that's all I have for it. right. Where do you want to go from here? Yeah. And often they're like, can I buy? I'm like, if that's what you want, do you think you really need it? And so then you lean out and they start leaning back in. It's a process. It's push, pull, it's give, take.
0: Absolutely, no, I love that. It's great. Like I said, like a lot of salespeople are so, and then this kind of talks back to your original point of chasing the commission, that they're not pausing to kind of lean back out and let the sale come to them, where it's all about, you know, chasing forward. And, you know, the momentum is always kind of away from rather than towards. And it completely, this way, you can see it completely shifts the conversation. It's interesting that very often, either when I'm doing sales calls for my other businesses, or if I'm on the receiving end, there's often an expectation on the other side for the salesperson, to just be an order taker, right? I'll get people guy like, calling me, alright, in headhunting business, right? And they're like, yeah, I need a this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And I'm like, okay, and that's kind of like stage three or four of the conversation. First thing I need to understand is, you know, what's not work for you? Is this the right way you want to go? You know, at the end of the day, you know, we're headhunters, we're not contingency. You know, solicitors are probably the most expensive in the marketplace. Do you want someone that can offer you this level of kind of concierge service? So it's a very different type of thing. Of I'll throw you a job specification and expect you to like throw resumes at me. Look, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of organisations that do that, and if that's what someone's looking for and that works, then then great, right? In the industry that I operate in, that doesn't really work, right? But equally, I get people calling me offering lead gen services, offering marketing services, social media, thousands of different services. And ever since we launched the podcast, that that's You've incredible got everything. exponentially, yeah podcast editing, podcast, this podcast, that podcast, the other. Right. And it's so fascinating that the expectation is salespeople are now just order takers. All they're doing is taking orders. And you can see that all of this kind of qualification and understanding of what the genuine needs and the reasons behind those needs are almost disappears. And so what you're talking about kind of putting that kind of psychology behind it, at the answer it's a real shift. It's a real paradigm shift. And I can see how powerful that could be.
1: Yeah, it's true. it changes the whole dynamic at the relationship. Even if someone with massive sales resistance comes in, they're like, I've been in sales for 35 years. Just tell me what you can do. When you shift gears and you're like, well, I mean, I don't even know if I can help you. It completely changes the way they think about the process. And then you start asking questions, you dig in a little different way, you connect the dots, you find the past, you figure out the future. And then all of a sudden these people are like, "Well, nobody's ever gone through this with me. This is pretty neat. Can I do what you do? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. And so they're like, wow, this guy's like either a real big dummy and he won't take my money, or..." There's like something that I really need here.
0: Great stuff. Let's be honest. How much real selling comes into play? Like, for example, when people talk about the classic sale of understand the need and then position your features to benefit that need. Okay, the ability to express what you do in terms that echo what the customer, potential customer says they're looking for, how much that really comes into play?
1: It's just a personalized pitch for us. It's like you figure out everything they need in discovery, you connect the dots and you figure out the whole process that's going on with them. And then it's a two minute pitch. That's it. It's like, Hey, because earlier you said this is going on. I think this, what we'll, what we're doing here would make sense. And because earlier you said this and this, and, and this was a real big problem, then what we'll do is this. And then I think because you said this thing, then what we'll probably do is, does that make sense? And then they'll say, yep. And then, well, hold on. You said, yeah, but why though? Why would you even need this? Why does all that make sense to you? Why would you want this? Oh, because it's everything I just said. And then they go on this tangent and they're essentially selling themselves on why they need it. And so for us, it's like the pitch is like wham, bam, damn. It's like when we teach this, it's two to five minutes. If you go over five minutes, persons think want to think about it. They're going to go off to Pluto. They're not paying attention anymore. They're looking at Instagram because now they're bored. And so you need to make sure that your pitch is super short if your discovery process is on point.
0: Wow. You know, they say there's nothing new under the sun. Okay. What I think is so cool about what how you just described it is, it is kind of taking, yeah, understanding the need then matching the features to that to benefit that need, but done in such a super personalized way that you haven't reinvented the wheel, but you've certainly updated and if you might personalized it, which is great.
1: Exactly. And the other thing we'll do is we'll work with our clients on making sure that what we have is new, unique, and safe. So that way, for example, like in our weight loss offer, we'll say, oh, "Well, because you said that you have you really struggle with commitment and you haven't really been able to figure this out, and since you were." kid, your parents were really hard on you and you have a real hard time following the process, what we're going to do with you is what I call the brain code rewire. And so then it sounds, it's not like what we're going to do is fix your mindset. Nobody cares, but brain code rewire all of a sudden uh, I want my brain code rewired, my brain code rewired. And then, oh, because you said that you don't really want to follow diets. And we talked about how you had to eat your whole plate as a kid. What I think would really make sense would be the neuronutrition model. And then, oh, I want the neuronutrition model. So it's a process of personalizing it and then making what you're doing seem new, unique and safe. So that way there's a huge connection here. And people are like, this is exactly what I need because it's what I said 10 minutes ago. And also it sounds really new and cool. And I haven't tried
0: this before. That's really, really cool. Okay, great. So, what three tips would you give people in order to be successful or to start to put this in action today?
1: Yeah, number one I would say is focus on the relationship with the customer. Remove the idea that you need to close or take their money on one call and remove the badge of honor behind that and put into the idea that if you can be an advocate for this person, if you can create this attachment to this person, then this person's going to come back. And the phenomenon we see is when people leave the call, they do come back and pay. We have 60% of people or 70% who come back after the first call to buy. Why? Because we take the effort to care. We take the effort to follow up and we take the effort to actually move into the relationship. Whereas in the standard industry, as soon as someone gets off that call, they're never coming back because they know all you wanted to do was sell them. Then the second thing I think you really need to do to put this into action is start asking questions with the purpose and intent. I was listening to someone's call the other day, and it's not just asking questions to ask questions. It's asking questions to uncover what's currently happening, then take what's currently happening and uncover what's happened in the past, then establish a pattern, and then help them understand how this destructive behavior pattern is never going to end. And then the last thing is don't let things slide. If someone says something that doesn't make sense, it's okay to tell them that doesn't make sense. And tonality is key here. You said something really interesting there. I don't know if I quite understand. Can you tell me a little bit more about, so that sounds like I care. It sounds empathetic. It sounds compassionate versus hold on what you said there makes no sense. Can you just explain that to me again? That sounds terrible. I sound like I'm aggressive and a jerk there. So don't be afraid to challenge people. Don't be afraid to ask questions that are hard. And I think one of the hardest questions that this might resonate with a lot of people is money nobody wants to talk about money. But in our discovery process, both into B2C and the B2B world, we uncover every aspect of their financial health. Why? Because in B2B, it's critical. In B2C, it's a massive source of stress. So by the time we get to the pitch, we know how much money they make. We know what their bills look like. We know what they're bringing home after bills. And we know what their credit situation looks like. So we can actually customize what we're doing specifically to them. And we understand their financial health at the same time.
0: Okay, great stuff. Okay, Chandler, what's next for you and for your business?
1: Yeah. For us right now, we're focusing on growing our sales academy. So getting people inside and being coached. We have a fully coached sales and copy academy. So if you join the sales academy, we give you the copy academy because sales equals copy, copy equals sales. It's just spoken word versus written word. So we're building and growing that. It's fully coached. You have to go through the whole academy. You go through milestones. You have to send us role plays and videos. We listen to your phone calls and make sure that when someone gets to the end, they've achieved mastery because I wouldn't do this if I couldn't help people achieve mastery. And then on the other side, we have an outsourced sales team process. So we'll build your entire Hire SDR setter team and your closers and install them for you, ready to go. And if anyone's interested in learning more about what we're doing, we can go over that too. Or Great how fun. would you find us?
0: Yeah, so how will people find you?
1: Yeah, so basically, if you want to get our framework, we operate in frameworks rather than scripts. So people don't sound like robots talking. If you ever heard a person on a script, they're like, okay, so tell me a little bit about what your biggest struggle is. And you're like, okay, man, you're reading off a script. Can you not do that? <laughs> and so we teach frameworks. So if you're interested in learning the entire nine-step framework to compassion conversations, just go to nine-step dot culture of care dot life put in your info and then you'll get sent to my facebook group and you'll get the nine step framework delivered right to you if you want to join our facebook group straight from just joining facebook just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash beyond method and it'll allow you to join there if you do download the nine step framework it'll take you right to our facebook group anyway then if you want to connect with me just go to instagram instagram.com forward slash chandler underscore saf
0: OK, I'll make sure we put all the links to that and to the nine step framework in the show notes below. Chandler, this was an absolute joy. I've been in sales for crumbs over 30 years and just hearing what you said, it's just been such a breath of fresh air and it's been so revealing and so educational for me. I can't imagine what people who are listening to this have thought as well. So I wish you genuinely the very, very best of luck with all of your endeavors. And thank you so much for joining us on The Conference Room. Yeah, thanks
1: for having me. And I just tell everybody I'm just a nerdy biochemist who became obsessive with the process and wouldn't settle for anything less. And here we are today.
0: That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up next week on The Conference Room, I'll be talking to former TV producer and podcast expert, Rena Friedman-Watts.
1: The kinds of guests I love are open books. The ones that aren't going to say after, you know, I said something I didn't really want you to put in there. Okay, maybe if it's like a 30 second clip, that's not a big deal. But people that are comfortable in who they are, they can own their mistakes. They can speak to them like things that are Googleable about you. You need to have a story around.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so that more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open. To a conversation thanks for listening to the conference room until next time keep talking